Good to see you all in the house of the Lord today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. Now, I know that you were probably turning to the book of Joshua, but I told you when I started that series that I might deviate from it some and and I might not even go back to it again. But today we're going to be in the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, and we're going to begin reading in verse 21 uh, here in just a minute. But uh, this is going to be a very... Very familiar story to you. Uh, Probably you've heard it preached many, many times. But uh, God has laid it on my heart, and this is what we're going to talk about today. John the 13th chapter, verse 21. You all there? Amen. Amen. When Jesus had thus said, He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom or perplexed about whom he spake. And there was one leaning on or reclining at Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus or leaning back on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop. Sop is a piece of bread. When I have dipped it, and when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, This is going to be one of those sermons where there's going to be a lot of Scripture. And I've already got it in my notes, so we're not going to turn to it because of time. I'm afraid this sermon's going to get too long anyway. But we ain't got no place else to be. So uh, you might want to jot down a few notes is what uh, I, I would encourage you to do about the Scriptures because then you have them to go and uh, go back to uh, at some other point. Now, in our text this evening, this, this that we read out of John, we see it deals with the issue of betrayal. We know because the Bible tells us that Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. So my, ter- my sermon today is entitled, Betrayed But Not Bitter. Betrayed, but not better. Now, the thing that makes betrayal so so painful by its very nature is that it comes from someone who we trust. It comes from someone who we believe in, someone that we have confidence in. In fact, I've learned that when we are betrayed and the closer we are to the person being doing the betraying, it's just that much more painful for us. Matter of fact, King David wrote in Psalm 55, 12 through 14, he had this to say, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me. If it was them, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, because if it was them, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion, my acquaintance, 
We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throne. Now, the Revised Standard Version puts it this way. It transforms it like this. That we used to hold sweet converse together within God's house, and we walked in fellowship together. It was you that I sat in Sunday school with. It was you that I sang in the choir with. It was you that I partook in communion with that betrayed me. When deceit and betrayal hit us, especially when it comes from an unexpected source, it hurts us. It hurts us deeply. And I want you to look at this. And I want you to think about this. Jesus had invested a lot of time and a lot of Himself in Judas. Jesus had trusted Judas with the treasury. He was the man that handled the money. And Judas stabbed Jesus in the back. Not only did him stab him in the back, but when he stabbed him, he took the handle and he twisted it. Now what I've learned is that it is not easy to walk through betrayal without a scratch. Think about this. And, and, And this is something, here's kind of a golden nugget for you if you will. You can't go through betrayal. In other words, you can't go through the press without some pain or some discomfort or some aching or some hurting and some displeasures. So this is something you you need to kind of take a mental note of. You cannot receive an anointing without going through some discomforts. You know, you can't show me an olive that has been pressed to get the oil out of that still looks the same coming out as when it went in. An olive that has had the oil extracted from it, you know, it, it has been bruised. It has been battered. It had been broken. It, you know, shattered, smashed, damaged, destroyed. We could go on and on. And some of us here today may be wondering why we hurt so. Why we have been so upset. Why we have been wounded. Why we have been injured. Let me tell you folks, it is because the only way that you can receive an anointing, that type of oil in your life, is you must be betrayed. And I'll I'll show you that here later on in this sermon. But not bitter for the greater use of what God has for you. Just like that olive that has been crushed, that has been stamped on, that has been damaged. But think about this. Not the oil that came out of it. Not the oil that was inside of it. That is being used to pray for people. That is being used to anoint people. That olive may have been betrayed, but look at it now. Now remember I told you that. Because I'm going to show you something real important here after a while. So, this evening I want to look at betrayal from two perspectives. First, I want to look at it and I want to look into the life of Judas. And gain some insight on what causes a person to betray somebody else. And the reason I want to do that is possibly that can help us spot a potential problem before it develops in a relationship that we are in. This can help us guard our own hearts 
so that we don't become the one who betrays another. And the second thing I want to look at today is I want to look at how Jesus responded to Judas's betrayal so that we can follow his example when this sort of thing happens to us. So first we're going to look at, at Judas. What, did, what led Judas to be the betrayer? What led Judas to do what he did? What are some of the common dynamics to, that led to such betrayal? Well, I think probably that Judas most likely entered into this relationship with a self-serving agenda. In other words, he was looking from the perspective, what can I get out of this deal? What can I get from this Jesus guy that's going to help me along the way? But you know, John tells us that Judas was a thief. And I want you to think about this. Here is a man that lived very close to Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He carried the money bag for the team. He, he was trusted by everyone. No one seemed to have even questioned when Judas was put in charge of, of the money. And even later on when Jesus talks about this, this, this pending betrayal, the disciples did not know it was Judas. They were all asking, who is it? You know, Lord, is it I? Am I the one that's going to betray you? But you see, the thing that I find very inquisitive about this, and my question is, did Jesus know who and what Judas was when He chose him? Y'all for sure? Now, it's real easy for us to come to that conclusion. It's real easy to say, well, yeah, He knew His heart because Jesus is God and God knows everything. But it's really not that easier question to answer. Because Jesus knew His heart when He was chosen. But obviously, Judas's heart, his problem, was greed. And it was well hidden for a long time. However, from time to time, it would rear its ugly head. An example of that would be when... when uh, you know, it pops up at different times. For example, you remember the story when Mary put the real expensive oil on Jesus' feet? You, you remember how, how Judas reacted? Do you remember that? Alright, guess what we're going to preach about next week? There wasn't enough heads nodding. But, but here's the thing. She used this, expect, this expensive oil and Judas got upset about it. And he criticized her for wasting the money. This is how he reasoned it. You find this in John the 12th chapter, by the way, verse 5. He says, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? In hindsight, 
John later tells us that the reason Judas responded the way he was, it wasn't that he was concerned for the poor. It was because he was a thief and that money would have been in the treasurer and he would have taken some of that money for himself. Now something else that I want you to think about in talking about this Judas guy was Judas is a man who saw the glory of God. Now, I want you to think about this. Like few people see it. You know, yet all the while, he was hardening his heart against God and becoming a devil. Think about this for a minute. Judas saw Jesus and all the miracles that he did. You know, he, he saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw Jesus cleanse leper, open blind eyes. Raise the dead. And, and he, believe it or not, G Judas himself was used to do these great miracles. Specifically, you find him listed in Matthew 10 as one of the twelve sent out by Jesus to ex do exactly what I just said. To heal the sick. To cleanse lepers. To open blind eyes, to raise the dead, to cast out demons, and preach the kingdom of God. And the next question I've got for you is this. How is it, how can a person be used of God in that way and end up the betrayer of Jesus? I want you to think about that. Now, I don't think this happened overnight. I think this was an ongoing process. I think there was a process involved. You know, he probably, his theft started out slow. Probably what he did, in my opinion, for what it's worth, which is nothing, he took a little money out of the tube. And he was putting it in his pocket and his mentality was, well, I'm doing the work. I'm going to get paid a little bit for what I'm doing that these other 11 guys won't do. Or maybe we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He had some unexpected debt come in and he needed to borrow a few bucks. And so it started off kind of small, but it just kind of got bigger and bigger out of hand. Or maybe it was that he was just a thief and couldn't help himself. But this is what I want you to see. Either or, whatever the situation was, in the atmosphere of God, he had every opportunity to confess his faults to Jesus and ask for forgiveness. And maybe he came close to doing that, but the fact of the matter is, he never did. Instead of confessing his problem, instead of admitting his problem, he justified it and it grew worse. Theft led to lying. Lying led to deception. Deception led to betrayal. And I think most cases of betrayal father that common pattern. You know, the first stage of the pattern is a self-serving agenda. Getting out of the deal whatever I can. And then the pe person, you know, enters into a relationship thinking that the other person can be used some way, somehow to further their own agenda. 
But I want you to think about this. Like some of the other disciples, Judas wanted a place of power. He wanted a place of influence. And he saw Jesus as someone that could help him obtain that goal. Get him where he wanted to be. And do you remember? Think about this. Do you remember the request that John and James' mother made of Jesus? You remember? You, you find that uh, in Matthew 20, verse 21. She said, Grant one of these two sons of mine one to be on your right hand and one to be on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. So that reaction to that request by the disciples gives us a clear insight into the carnal desire for power. So what I'm saying is we have to guard our hearts carefully as we enter into relationships. You know, if we come into a relationship driven by whatever we can get out of the deal, we are already taking the first step towards betrayal. Philippians 2.3 says this, it teaches us to do nothing out of selfish ambition. For example, no one should marry another person just to get whatever they can get out of that other person. You know, many marriages are hitted for divorce the day they tie the knot because the wrong motive in the relationship is there to begin with. In my opinion, Judah started following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And he never corrected his selfish agenda. He, he became disheartened. He became disillusioned. And of course, the relationship with Jesus did not follow the path he thought it was going to follow to, uh, you know, uh, his agenda. So, you know, he makes this very self-serving criticism of Mary for, for pouring this expensive oil on Jesus' feet. And what happens? Jesus corrects him right then and there in front of everybody. How does that make Judas feel? You think about this. His pride is wounded. He resents Jesus because of the way he handled the situation. And Matthew specifically ties that incident to the betrayal of Jesus. For Jesus, or not for Jesus, for Judas, as well as the other disciples, it was becoming blatantly obvious that Jesus was not hidden where they thought He was hidden. You remember at this time, everybody when they saw Jesus, they were looking for a great military ruler. They wanted this great military ruler that could get them out from under Roman oppression. Well, it became blatantly obvious that that was not the way things were going. Jesus was being sought by the authorities. They wanted to arrest Him. And so Jesus is thinking more about the cross than He is a crown. And where does that leave poor Judas? Well, it leaves him frustrated. It leaves him unfulfilled because he can't get out of Jesus what he wants. You know, and when you start dealing with people in disposition, 
the pattern becomes very obvious. And the, the pattern at this point, when they get this far into a situation, they usually turn the course of the relationship in the direction of their original intent. When they find out they can't control somebody the way they wish they could, the way they hope they could, that's, that's when you see that they can't keep going because uh, with their agenda that they were initially pursuing. So what do they do? They begin to turn against you. They begin to resent you. They will not be grateful for what you do with them. They will be very critical of, of other people. They will lie. They will make false accusations. And then the final stage, the final step is what? Betrayal. And here's the betrayal. I want you to think, and see, Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Not very much money at all. Why did he do that? Why did he get such little out of the deal? Because he was trying to salvage and get whatever he possibly could for the effort that he had put in thus far. A person in that state of mind can become paranoid. Fear can become the driving force in their mind because they begin to attribute all their own unholy motives uh, uh, on the other person. They begin to position themselves defensively, do unto others before they can do it to me. That's the attitude they take. You know, uh, fear and survival become a very uh, powerful thought in this type of situation. You know, and we don't know. We don't know what Judas told these priests when he sold Jesus out. But most of the time when people reach this point of betrayal is when they start criticizing. They start making false accusations. And, 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 you know, they try to gather allies because they know conflict is coming. So Judas is a warning for each one of us. That is one side of the issue. But now here is the other side of the issue. How you handle how you handle the situation is the other side which is just as important my question is this what did jesus know what enabled him to not become offended by this betrayal because after all jesus could have become offended by this betrayal. Very easily he couldn't, but he didn't. And I want you to think about this. You're probably sitting there thinking, yeah, but preacher, he, he's Jesus. He's not one of us like we are down here. You fail to remember that Jesus at this point was fully human. He feels everything that you and I feel. You know, he, he, he felt the pain of Judas's treachery. Folks, I want you to understand one thing. And if you don't take anything else out of this sermon, you take this. Don't rob Jesus. Please, do not rob Jesus 
of His humanity as you read this story because this betrayal that He went through was part of His sufferings. He understands the pain that each and every one of us has experienced. You're not going to sit there. I don't care what has happened to your life. I don't care how bad it is. You're not going to sit there and say, well, He never went through what I went through. And I'm going to put Scripture behind that. Because the Bible tells us, it's in Hebrews 4, 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Okay, pastor, so how do we handle betrayal? What are we supposed to do when we are betrayed? We must follow the examples of, of, of Jesus. Because when we do, there is a blessing waiting for each and every one of us. In the second chapter of John, we are told that the crowds were pursuing Jesus by the masses. In other words, Jesus' popularity was... Uh, uh, off the charts because of all the miracles he was doing. And then John makes a very important comment. You find this in the second chapter of the Gospel of John verse 24. He says, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all man. The Living Bible says it like this, that he didn't trust them because he knew them to the core. No one needed to tell Jesus the changeable human nature. As a general statement, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, people have been basically selfish. Now, we might not like to admit that. We might like to say, oh no, I'm not. But let me tell you this, it takes an awesome work of the Holy Spirit to rid us of that self-centered mindset. And even Christians have it if they are walking in the flesh rather than walking in the Spirit. So how can I know? And at the same time, not become cynical, not become suspicious, not become distrusting. I have to honestly say, it ain't easy. Amen. At all. But, and you should have saw that coming, we have to continually to remind ourselves of God's heart towards people and His redemptive plan for all of us and allow Him to pour His love into our hearts. Here's where you need to start really paying attention. With that in mind, with that basic human understanding, I want you to think about this. Jesus was not taken by surprise when Judas betrayed Him. 
at all. And more specifically, when the time was right, God showed Jesus exactly what was in the heart of Judas. Because in the Gospel of John, the 6th chapter, verse 70, the Bible says, Jesus was saying to His disciples, Have I not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? That's Jesus' words. John specifically tells us that Jesus was talking about Judas at that particular point. So Jesus realized, Jesus recognized that Judas was moving toward betrayal. He knew it. He also recognized that regardless, get this now, regardless of what the betrayer did or anybody else might do, God was in control ultimately of the plan for his life. You see, Judas made his own moral choice. And you also must realize that God did not interfere with that choice that he made. You know, God allowed that betrayal to come into Jesus' life. And that's pretty easy for us to accept, isn't it? But how easy is it to accept when the betrayal comes into our life? How easy is it to accept when something bad happens to us. When we've had one of those experiences where we just kind of slap ourselves on the forehead and say, wow, why didn't I see that coming? Or maybe our attitude is, why God? Why did you allow this to come into my life? How easy is that to accept? Have you ever had some of those experiences in your life that made you ask why? Well, this, the answer to that is simpler than you might think. You see, God didn't put us in this world to keep us from human experiences. But He uses these experiences to help shape us and prepare us for eternity. This is what the Bible says. This is God's agenda for each one of us. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have, call, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. But the problem is this. The problem is this. That we can very easily lose sight of God's purpose for our life and want to do 
our own agenda and not God's agenda. Let me, take, let me tell you this real quick. Joseph it is a great story that, that to study when you're talking about betrayal. Because if you remember the story of Joseph, you remember he was the one that had the coat of many colors. He's the one that his brothers betrayed him and threw him in the well because of envy. But do you also know about Joseph that Potiphar's wife betrayed him and he served an unjust prison sentence? Now, these bad things happen to him. And bad things happen to each one of us. And what is the first thing we want to do when somebody does something to us? We get mad. And we want to get even. Maybe you're thinking about the old saying, I don't get mad, I get even. You see, Jesus could have gotten mad about Judas. Joseph could have got mad about his brothers or Potiphar's wife and said, I'm going to get even. That's human nature. That's what we want to do. But the issue is not whether or not we're going to get betrayed. You remember I told you earlier that I was going to tell you this. You find this in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 1. It says, It is impossible that no offensive should come. Did you get that? It is impossible. So, what determines my future, your future, is how we respond to those situations. How we react. How did Joseph respond to his brothers? With forgiveness and with mercy. That's what he did. Now the obvious question is, how did he do that? How could he possibly do that? He understood the redemptive power, the redemptive plan of God in his life. You find this in Genesis 50, verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph was put in that position by God to save a bunch of people that would starve to death from famine, 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 that word. Thank y'all. See, y'all should be doing this, not me. Famine. So I'm going to put it in country boy terms. What y'all meant for my bad, God turned it around for my good. That's what Joseph is saying. In other words, Joseph had confidence in God. That's the reason he didn't get bitter when he was betrayed. 
And that same confidence that Joseph had in God is the same confidence of God that was in Jesus. Listen how John counters Judas's betrayal with Jesus' confidence in the ability to bring His plan to pass. You find this in the same chapter we're in, John 13, verses 2 and 3. And I'm going to be kind of paraphrasing. But it says that the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. You see, the devil was at work prompting Judas to betray Jesus. He was already at work. But above and beyond all of that, God was bringing His plan to pass. In other words, it was God's will. That's, there's no other way to say it. It was God's will. But here's what I want you to see. There was no retaliation from God whatsoever. No retaliation of any kind. Even though He knew that Judas was in the process of betraying him, I want you to understand he kept reaching out to Judas in love. He kept showing kindness to Judas. He gave Judas every opportunity he possibly could to change his mind and repent. This is what the Bible says. In, this is 1 Peter 4.8. It says that charity, which is love, covers a multitude of sins. How could Jesus love His enemies? Because He was fully submitted to the Holy Spirit. That's how. And it's possible for you and me as well. It's possible for you and me to love our enemies, but I want to tell you this, it's impossible to do it in our own strength. Amen. You can't do it in your own power. I'm telling you. But it is possible for the Holy Spirit to do that kind of work through us. So getting back to our text. Here we have Judas in the upper room, and I want you to see this. He's already bargained with the priest to deny Jesus, to betray Him, to give Him in, to give Him over. And I want you to see what Jesus did. Knowing all of this, Jesus put Him right beside Him. Have you ever thought about that? Right there. Right beside Him. And every word that He says to Judas about this pending betrayal is just an arrow into the hardened conscience of Judas calling him to repentance. Jesus kept reaching out to Judas in love. In that final act of grace, 
And we read it. Jesus handed Judas that bread. It was an extension of friendship. How many times have you been betrayed and you reached out with a hand of friendship to who betrayed you? I want you to think about this. Jesus put him right there. Right beside him. I dare say most of us, if we was betrayed such as this, we couldn't even have that person in the same room with us. And look what He did. Jesus took, Judas took that piece of bread, accepted it, without coming clean. So that tells us that He made His final decision not to repent. And at that moment, that was His last opportunity that he had and he opened up his soul to Satan fully but you notice that Jesus did not become bitter because of the betrayal because Jesus knew what he had to do he knew what he had come to accomplish And that's the lesson when you know what God has sent you to do. When you know what God has sent you to do, even though you have been betrayed, you don't get better. You just keep moving in the Spirit of God because He will be your present need in that time that you need Him. He will be your help. How do I know that? Just go to the cross. We sang that song a while ago, the old rugged cross. You see, Jesus was just like that olive we talked about. What did that olive look like after that oil had been extracted from it? What had that olive went through? I want you to think about what Jesus looked like and what Jesus went through when He was hanging on that cross for you. Because while He was on that cross, you was on His mind. Each one of us helped put Him there. Don't forget that. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank You for this time we've had together today. We thank You for this Word that You have opened up for us, Father. Father, I just ask that we take this Word to heart. That as we leave this place, Father, we understand that there's no use in getting bitter 
when we're betrayed. That it's just part of your plan. It's part of your will. And that you're our help to get us through. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for all you do for us. Your love, your mercy, your grace. Father, I just thank you for this church, this church family. I thank you for these folks that are here today. And I pray your blessing upon each one of them. Father, those that are not here for whatever reason, I lift up to you as well. We just pray that that they're safe. Father, I just ask that you continue to protect each one of us in this very challenging time. And Father, there's just a lots of things going on in this old world right now. We've, we've got this situation in Afghanistan. We've got the earthquake in Haiti, Father. We've got the drought and the wildfires out in the western United States. We've got the hurricanes and the flooding in the eastern United States. And there's just a lot of people, Father, that need you right now need you to help them in their time of suffering. Father, I also lift up all the folks that we have on our prayer list. I just ask again that that need be met. I ask, Father, that you continue to bless us with rain that only you can provide. Father, just watch over us and care for us as we leave this place and forgive us where we fail you. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.